And now, your Avalanche theme music for the week. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph House. You're locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for October 26, 2015. Coming up on the show, the Avs lose. One was okay, one was okay till it wasn't, and the other was just horrible. The Avs also made some roster moves this week. We'll break it down and try to figure out what's going on with this team, but wait a minute, you said wait, who's we? I'm joined by AJ from BSN. How's it going, AJ? Hi to you, sir. Hi to you. And it's been far too long since we've heard from Andy DeRoe. Hello to you. Hello. Well, moving does that. Yeah, well, we should go ahead and talk this one through. Way back on Sunday of last week, Abs lose 2-1 to the LA Kings in a game that wasn't that close. Despite trailing the entire period, the Avs are outshot 14-6 in the third with only a single shot attempt at 5-on-5. Five five. I've already written at length about that, and frankly, it's gross and bad, and I'm sick of it, so let's move on. Duchesne got his first goal of the year in this one on the power play. On Wednesday, Avs lose 1-0 to the Carolina Hurricanes, and the first look Avs fans have had at 3-on-3 three three overtime. This was one of the more boring hockey games on record. 45 shots total between the teams, nine minor penalties prevented any kind of game flow ever getting off the ground, and neither team was able to connect on much of anything, not because of smothering defense, but just because of miscues everywhere. And we'll get to the overtime later, but in regulation, Varlamov stopped all 18 he saw. And finally, on Saturday, Avs fall 4-3 to the previously winless Columbus Blue Jackets in a tight, strange game that saw 10 minor penalties, not included David Clarkson's roughing, which is actually an instigator. Scoring for the Avalanche were Jerome McGinley, Nathan McKinnon on the power play, thanks to a really slick pass from McGinley through three penalty killers, and Jack Skilly, what a snipe high glove on the Bobcop. But... Even what I'm pretty sure was the first game this season where the Avalanche took 10 or more shots every period wasn't enough to overcome four stupid penalties between Como and Landeskog and 16 shots against in the third. So, oof. Where do you guys want to start? Uh, one point in three games is a real good way to fall way too far behind in this division really quickly. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no arguing that. My general feelings with the team this year is that there are a lot of good pieces, a lot of individual talent, but when a third of your roster is brand new, it's just going to take a little bit of time for things to come together. And the Avs, as they look right now, absolutely deserve to be at the bottom of the Central Division. I mean, they have not been playing great, but at the same time, you see the flashes of what they can be when they finally get their shit figured out. Um, It's just a matter of if and when they're going to start putting the pieces together and how big of a hole they're going to dig before that. So, yeah, this year they've been even more hot and cold than in past years, and I'm I wasn't even sure that was possible, but here we are. 
Here we are. I think this was kind of the thing that um, a lot of us sort of expected coming into the season. Um, I think a lot of us expected the team to immediately be a little bit worse than it was last year, at least in terms of just because of losing such an important player in Ryan O'Reilly and replacing him with a bunch of players who aren't quite that good. Um, and then the defense making moves to be better, uh, both immediately and in the long term, but not so much immediately that they're suddenly world beaters. I think that's kind of what we're seeing. Um, it's better in some ways. It's worse in some ways. And it's averaging out to just be a streaky mess. But... What's, what's really important here is that this is a Central Division team. Um, right now, Winnipeg is in sixth in the Central with nine points. Oh, God. Which would be good for tied for second in the Pacific, uh, tied for fourth in the Metro, and tied for third in the Atlantic. <laughs> so, yeah. That's the group of death. Hello. Mm-hmm. That's Division in sports, and somehow we end up in it. How's Dallas have 12 points? What's up with that? Um, their defense Voodoo. hasn't hit the wall Voodoo. yet. <laughs> yeah, maybe we need to have like one of our Texas-based listeners come in for that one. Like, hey, what's Dallas doing? Why are they? Why do they have a plus six differential here? What's up? Smoking mirrors. Mm-hmm. There are. Two teams in the Central who have lost a single game in regulation. There are three teams in the NHL. The other one is Washington. Uh, Montreal has lost zero because of similar voodoo. Well, I mean, at least voodoo's name has, a has you know, Carey Price, is, he's their voodoo. I mean, Dallas is, yeah, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but we've we've handed Dallas one of their two regulation losses, so <clears throat> we'll kind of see how that one turns out. Um, so again, I really don't want to spend basically any time on the game against LA because it was just so painful. Um, yeah, well, and and I mean we've we've raked over those coals for an entire week. Exactly. So. Um, so let's let's turn to the game against Carolina, which was a game I felt like the Avalanche outplayed their opponent um, in basically every way, <clears> except <throat> for the Cam Ward part. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see the Avs get more shots on goal, which is kind of a common refrain this year. But I felt like defensively, by far our best effort. Carolina might not be a world beater, but... The, the way that the ads came out, competed defensively, you know, they did good things on defense, which is such a rarity that it, it was nice to see. And uh, it does give some hope to the rest of the season that, yes, they can do it. It's just a matter of doing it consistently, doing it against teams that aren't Carolina, and uh, doing it on nights when the other goalie doesn't decide to throw a save of the year candidate at us. Screw you, Cam Ward. I mean, <laughs> I think I think I think a lot of people think that Carolina is real bad, and you know I think they have their frust. You know, they have they have their issues. They're not they're not going to be a great team this year. Um, but I think they're an awful lot better than what. Well, certainly Avalanche fans have given them credit for this week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I I think it's pretty telling that they've been a pretty positive possession team most of this season. <coughs> and they've outplayed a handful of teams on the schedule that they've played so far. And Colorado, I thought, fairly 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 well manhandled manhandled them, honestly. Like they I don't know that Colorado's gonna put up a better, more complete defensive effort than the one they put against Carolina. And I know people there are some people that are frustrated that, you know, you know, I can't I can't say that that's a good game when you lose a home game one nothing to Carolina. And you know, I under I understand that. I you know, I understand when you look at the results on the score sheet and you're like, Yeah, sure, that's a good game. You're stupid. So I you know, I get I get where people are coming from, but I I felt really, really good about that game. Um watching it and you know, in the in the locker room afterwards and talking to Wa, I I really I really got the feeling that everybody was pretty pleased with that effort and that everybody kind of just shrugged it off as, you know, that's that's just one of those games. That's you know, Cam Cam Ward came to play. You know, he he stops a he stops a breakaway twenty three seconds into overtime uh, on a guy that's gonna have six hundred career goals here in a couple of weeks. So, you know, I mean, you take that chance. You you know, again, the scores that goal and oh hey, you know, we played a great defensive effort. Varlamov got the shutout, and you know, Iggy scored a goal on a great pass from Duchesne in over in overtime, and holla holla, you know, everybody's excited and. Instead, you know, Victor Rask abused uh, a worn-out Landeskog, who is certainly not going to be confused with the defensive anytime soon. And you know, people are people are kind of pounding the table in frustration. And I, you know, I understand. I understand that losing isn't fun, and that growing pains. You know, they they are pains. They are painful. They they don't feel good. That's why they're called pains. And that you know, it just <laughs> it know? just doesn't. Yeah. It it does not feel good right now, but you know there's I, you know from where I sit, I I feel a lot more positive about this team than I feel like probably more most other people really do right now. I feel like there are a lot of things that have really started to come together, a lot of things that are really encouraging uh, in all aspects of of the game, and yeah, that needs to start showing up. Um, in, in the results and that needs to start showing up in actual on ice productivity. But I think there are a lot of building blocks that are starting to get put in place. Whereas I didn't feel that way about last year's team. I kind of felt like they were, uh, you know, they were, they were a bus with three wheels, you know, and I don't feel that way about this year's team. I think that it's a, it's a better all around team. And I think that when Varlamov's even strength save percentage comes out of the toilet those those results will start to get reflected because you know I was talking to Cheryl this morning about it if if Varlamov of the last couple of years had shown up in the first couple of weeks of the season the Avalanche have five wins right now and this isn't a conversation we're having yeah his save percentage is in the 860s it's yeah uh, I believe it's 864 yeah when um his his war on ice adjusted save percentage which it takes into account the difficulty of the shots he's facing is still 880 I mean he's got to be better and he will be better I am pretty confident in saying because this is some uh what six percent lower save percentage than any season he's ever put together so 
Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about regressing to the mean is that, yes, you talk about it when you're expecting team or players or whoever to come back down to earth. But on the other hand, you look at Varlamov and at some point he's going to regress back up to it. So um, that that's going to be a, a major help to the team. Uh, thankfully, Barra kind of held us together there for a little bit, but Varley needs to be better. And I think that a lot of the frustrations are partially coming from that. Um, I think a lot of it too is Avs fans have been waiting, gosh, almost a decade now to have, you know, that, that team again, to have a really successful team and to be asked to keep waiting for, you know, maybe even one more year. I, I, I understand the frustration. I've been seeing a lot of calls for wah. Um, and I get it. I get it. But like AJ said, I, I also see, I see a lot of the building blocks. And I think that a lot of the issues this team has are correctable throughout the season. Maybe they don't all come together in time for us to make the playoffs, but I think that a lot of the problems we have are going to start to work themselves out because we have talent now. Our top four defense doesn't make me want to crawl under my bed and start crying, which is very different than it has been for a very long time. Um, Then you look at our forwards, and as soon as we figure out how to get Duchesne not carrying around anchors, um, that'll be pretty well in place. And once Varlamov comes back up to, you know, the Varlamov we've come to expect, I think that a lot of things are going to start falling into place. So I understand the fr- frustration, but I don't think it's going to last. Yeah, um, Colorado are 2-4-1 and one, um, with a goal differential of minus two. Yeah. Yeah, and if you look at the teams that are around them in the standings, you look at, you know, you look at like a Carolina, you know, they're two and six. They have a goal differential of negative 11, you know, like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh has got negative three, New Jersey's negative three, Philly's negative two, like, you know, Los Angeles is negative two, just like Colorado is, you know, Edmonton is a negative five. And they, you know, these are all teams that have as many or more points outside of Carolina than than Colorado does right now and it's <laughs> it's just you know the abs the abs have not had the results that we were all hoping for coming out of the gate especially with the importance that they they placed on the early season but i also think that this will probably will look back on this as probably one of the worst seven game stretches that they have all year I certainly hope so um what did you guys think of the overtime that was actually the first uh NHL three on three like regular season that I've watched. Uh, I haven't had a lot of time to spare for look, looking around the league, so that was the first one I saw, and that was wow, that was a thing. A fast, crazy mess. It was a, it was yeah, but an my, entertaining I, fast, crazy mess. Yes, um, I think that where I want to go with this is that shift that had Landeskog so gassed was long. Yeah. And there's three long. guys that cover the whole ice. Do you think teams need to take shorter shifts than that? Um, 
I think there's going to be a lot of adjusting. I do think that um, teams need to take shorter shifts. I think when you talk about trying to change, you have to get pucks in deep, and you have to be you have to really uh, you have to make a concerted effort because you saw what what caught Landeskog there was um, they they got the puck in into the Carolina zone. Cam Ward came out and played it. He came out about four feet in front of his crease and he played the puck aggressively back up to the blue line and that kept them out on the ice. That was that was a really, really big component of what the what would become Landeskog being stuck out there and McKinnon being, you know, kind of caught in that no man's land. And the McKinnon the McKinnon change didn't bother me so much because it was essentially two on two. Um, as Wah said after the game and I agreed with him, was that that I mean it, it looked bad, but in terms of actual impact, I think it was very minimal. But Landeskog being caught out there was really what the, what what happened what, that that cost them. And Cam Ward playing the puck the way that he did uh, aggressively and effectively is the kind of thing that I think um, you know that's 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 going to be one of those things that um, makes makes a bigger difference moving forward in in those those overtimes. Then maybe we would have seen, you know, certainly in the four on four where they were still, you know, negligible in impact. And even in that game entirely, like throughout, there were identical situations where Varlamov, instead of being aggressive and going after a puck that was coming inside his blue line, he chose to, he kind of hesitated and then chose to hang back and make the stop on a breakaway. And faced with the same situation, Cam Ward didn't hesitate, went out, played the puck, no big deal. You know, Var Varlamov's puck handling issues are going to be magnified in the three on three when he doesn't have the confidence and he doesn't have the ability to to make aggressive and and smart and solid plays and decisions. And I think it's gonna be one of the more fascinating things to watch as this three on three develops. Yeah, Varley's kinda raffle awful at handling the puck. Uh whereas we know that Cam Ward is a guy who's pretty good at it and <clears throat> If you've got a goalie who's pretty good at handling the puck, he's going to single-handedly win you overtime games just by doing things like he did there. He's like, oh, this is coming in. I'll just send that back to the other blue line. Here you go. Right on the tape. And that was a yeah. hell of a pass. Yeah, it was. And it's, I mean, that's huge. Um, a much worse line change in that game was uh, it's actually sprung one of the breakaways. Uh, I, I hear it a sigh. I think someone knows where I'm going with that one. Uh, Como is like within reach of the puck and just goes eh and gets onto the bench. No one had come on for him yet. It wouldn't have been too many men. Yeah, well, you know, Mitchell was trying to get the puck deep and Como was uh, caught in the zone and you know he was he was really lazy getting back and <clears throat> getting back on side and so Mitchell held and he held and then he lost it and then it turned into you know it it turned into Gong Show at the other end. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. But that, that's not, I mean, we, we're going to pick on Como there, but that's not the only rough line change that um, that we've seen out of this team this week. It's been no. kind of a theme. Um, um, I have a theory on that, um, and I think it has to do with how much the Lions shuffle during the games. Um, we've, we'll, we've seen Como on the top line. We've seen Rantanen on the top line before he moved down, and more on that in a sec. We've <clears> seen <throat> Skilly move up to the second line when Tange wasn't getting it done. We've seen Mitchell up and down throughout the through the lineup. I think that part of it is um, the Lions aren't really set. 
I think maybe guys aren't real sure, like, about coming on. Well, I think a lot of that goes back to the, you know, at the start of the year, we had eight new players on the team. There are a lot of moving pieces, and I don't think anything has really solidified yet. Um, it's something that'll come, but I think that Wa is trying out a lot of different combinations, trying to get things going, because between the goaltending being what it is and you know, Duchesne having a little bit of a whatever and all of that perception, um, I think that Wa is shuffling. And yeah, it, it's probably that shuffle is probably part of why the line changes have been so rough. Um, but again, that's going back to what I said earlier. That's one of those fixable things that should iron itself out as the year goes on. I think I would make the counterpoint that that's a fixable thing that shouldn't need to be fixed in the first place though. Well, yeah, there is that. I mean, you need to be in constant communication with your guys. You know, there are, there are three coaches on the bench and they, they should be, they should have that. That should never, ever, ever be an issue. Like a change like that, the one that the one in the Carolina game that cost him the game, or that not uh, that that cost him the breakaway there, that should never ever happen. I mean, that's 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 terrible all around. I mean, you got to clean that up, and that's that's what your preseason is for. I mean, you work all that out. You work out how you want to get the changes. You got to talk to who you got to talk to, and your players need to be focused and in the game and ready to go out and play and. That's just that's terrible. That should never happen. I mean, you can you can. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you that yes, that's a fixable thing, but it shouldn't be something that needs to be fixed in the first place. That's that's terrible. And that's uh, that's part of what those of us who have been a little bit dissatisfied with the coaching staff this year are going to be watching as the season progresses. And do those fixable things get fixed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Wa and the coaching staff are doing right now that are very frustrating. Um, the the line changes is one of them. Usage, time on ice, line matching. These are all things that are under the coach's control that they can fix. And right now, I feel like in a lot of ways they're not maximizing the potential of the lines, maximizing the potential of matching them and having them out there at the right times. There's a lot of rough stuff going on right now with how the coaches are coaching the game. Um, and Wah has never been particularly good at this, but it's something that is standing out more now, especially with the goalie save percentage being what it is and it's something that he needs to work on throughout this season too um just like everyone else on the team there are things that he needs to fix and those definitely fall into it and uh, yeah there there is no excuse right now that's something that needs to get handled as quickly as possible um but again i i'm seeing growth from Wah even early in the season you look at the first two games and you look at how Ginnon played and uh, he got lit up really badly against Minnesota he got lit up really badly against Dallas but through the second half of the Dallas game Wah took him off um, Ben and Sagan duty and then he was scratched the next game so 
I mean, I look at it and I see that there is progress being made, but I also understand the frustration that Wah right now is in a win-now coach. He still has things that he needs to fix. And anybody who's expecting him to be a win-now guy right now, he's just not. Um, so this is his third year. These things need to start going away. Um, but at least I'm seeing progress towards it. The Ginnon thing is kind of double-edged because while he is getting consistently night after night the least ice time of any Avalanche defenseman, um, he's also getting used more in the third period, at least last night against Columbus, than he did in the first or the second. Um, he, he and Zadorov, who were, you know, less than outstanding, to, to use the parlance of our crack broadcasting crew, um, yes. have been... I, I mean, af after the uh, after Gormley's on ice for a couple of goals against, we see Genin and Zadorov kind of like take their spot in the in the rotation for a shift. Um, and as we know, Genin being used more typically means you're not going to generate shots, and the team's down a goal and needs shots to get that goal back. Um, the same thing kind of happened where we saw less of Duchesne in the third than we did in the first or the second. At even strength. Yeah, it, it's things like that that you just want to get Wa alone and pick his mind a little bit. I don't think he's ever going to say anything to media, even if asked directly. But um, I would really be interested in seeing what his logic is there. Because I'm not really seeing it. Maybe he just doesn't realize it's happening, but I have a hard time believing that. I don't know. It, it's definitely a frustration with Law, and um, hopefully it will start to correct itself as the year goes on. Um, so after the game against Carolina, before the game against Columbus, Miko Rantanen got uh, demoted to San Antonio. He was replaced by Dennis Everberg, which I think most of us felt was the right call. Um, There's a few that maybe didn't quite so much. Um, for, for the most part, it seems like Avs fans are thinking that was the right move. Um, he's going to get a lot more playing time in San Antonio. He's already got a goal and an assist. Um, so it's, I think it's the right move myself. I think it was the right move for the team. I think it was the right move for um, Everberg and for Ratnan. Um, the only person I see who loses from this is Matt Duchesne. You are a robot. Is that you or is that Skype? Oh, I don't know. AJ, what do you sound like? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. You sound fine. You sound fine. It's probably mine. Am I still a robot? Uh, it's sort of staticky a little bit. Just It just sounds like one of those times where your internet dips a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah could so, be. So it goes. Yeah. Um, but it's already getting a little bit better, so. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, good, go. Okay. Um, so going back to that, you know, it, it's good for the team. It, it's good for Ratnan. It's good for Everberg. The only person I see who loses from this is, is Matt Duchesne because I was looking at the shift chart earlier today, and he's got Iginla and now Como on his wings. 
And Duchesne, I adore him as a player, but he's not a guy who can necessarily grab a line by its bootstraps and drag him to winning, even though they aren't as talented as you know they need to be. Um, he needs somebody that he vibes off of to be successful. You look at, you know, even way back, Mueller, Fleischman, Parento, uh, O'Reilly. These are when he's paired with those guys is when he's always done his best. And if we're expecting Matt Duchesne to score like he has one of those guys on his line without actually having one of those guys on his line, it's no wonder he's frustrated right now. Um, So the the only problem with demoting Ratnan is who do you put there with Duchesne? If it was early season Como, it would be less of a problem. Um, but lately, Como has not been hitting as much, not been taking as many shots, um, and not playing as smart as he did to start the year, by my eye. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's yeah, it's a tough spot. We're basically still short a top six wing, and Duchesne just seems to always draw the short straw. So then he gets saved by Cam Ward on that shot. And I mean, yeah, he's frustrated. You listen to his interviews and I think he flat out said, I'm frustrated right now. So I think that the only downside of the Ratnan demotion is who do you play with Matt Duchesne? The guy who started the year with them. I mean, me personally, I don't think it's a big deal. I think I think the NHL team got better. I think Miko Rantanen is a worse NHL player than Dennis Everberg is right now. And I think down the line, this benefits everybody. If this, this you know, Rantanen will go to the AHL, he'll get better. If you listen to Joe Sackick's interview um, during or his media session with the Rampage Media last night, he, when asked about Rantanen's um, ELC sliding, he did not sound like a guy who made that decision because he was worried about the contract. He made it sound like, hey, he's going to go down there, he's going to play, and it sounded an awful lot to me like if Rantanen tears up the AHL the way that we think he's going to and he produces consistently, he's a guy who very easily could be back in Colorado again this season. I But but for right now, I think it was, it was an easy decision. It was an obvious decision. Wall wasn't playing him, and I think justifiably so. I know that there were people who felt mm-hmm. – Wah put him in a position to fail. He put him on his off wing, and I don't have an argument against that. I think putting him on the left side was the worst thing he did, but I don't think playing him nine minutes was a bad was a bad decision. I wish he would have spread the nine minutes out a little bit more consistently throughout the game, but I I felt like Rantanen showed he's he's an eighteen year old kid who has an awful lot of talent, but an awful lot of things he still needs to work on. And he's going to go down there and he's going to work on him. And I think Dennis Everberg makes the NHL club better, more well-rounded right now. Especially defensively. I think that, you know, reading between the lines, I think a large part of why Ratanen was getting so few minutes, particularly in the third period, is why didn't trust him defensively. And understandably so. He's an 18-year-old kid. Um, adjusting to North American ice, and yeah, he's not very good defensively yet. You look at what Dennis Everberg brings, and yeah, it's not going to be as much scoring, 
or, well, potential to score. Um, but defensively, if you're looking at somebody who's only going to be playing 9, 10 minutes a night, yeah, you bring up the guy that's not going to get scored on. Um, so from that aspect, it, it's a perfectly logical move. It's a good move, um, the right move. It's so. an easy decision to make, honestly. Yeah. Like it was... I thought I thought you know they were giving him more ice time. I thought that if they'd kept him the extra three games and they they gave him a twelve or thirteen minute night just to kind of you know hey let's just see what happens. Um, I think he would have gotten one of those kinds of nights had the team been winning, but they they got themselves in a little bit of a hole, and I think they said hey you know what we we can't keep tinkering around with this nonsense. We need to we need to put our our best lineup out there you know our we need to put what we feel is our best foot forward to get us nhl wins while at the same time allowing him the opportunity to go down and get the the ice time playing in all the different situations that he's going to play in down there and to really take advantage of the opportunity you know both for the avalanche organization and for for Rantanen's you know long and short term development so it was <clears throat> for me, it was easy. I thought it was a smart decision. I thought it was fine. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially after listening to Sackick talk last night. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in Denver. In the meantime, it's going to be nice seeing the Avs having a farm team that actually could be, you know, good. That's a months. really good team down there. Well, like... <laughs> That, that kind of blows my mind a little bit that the Avs farm team could actually make some noise in the AHL. And Sakic's comments about wanting them to learn how to win and establishing that culture down at that lower level, it, it really resonated. I think it's something that's been lacking for a lot of years. Um, the additional depth is good, but you also look at guys like Bigra and you know Pickard and Ratnan now that are probably going to be with the big clubs sooner than later. You know, it, it's a good situation for them finally um, to be down there and developing with other high-end prospects. Um, so I, I'm just thrilled about the rampage. I think they're going to have a good year, and it's only going to benefit the Avs down the road. Yeah, and I know that's that's it's really difficult for for people who you know follow the Avalanche primarily. You know, like me, like I like I like to follow all levels of the organization. I'm equally invested in all of them. I I care about all of them. I'm very passionate about all of them. And I know that there are a lot of people that are just like, well, I have Avs gear. I don't have Rampage gear. I don't give a flying fuck. You know. Like, I wish them the best of luck, but okay, whatever. But I'm really excited about the idea that the AHL team is going to be really good because it's not an AHL team filled with a lot of AHL veterans. You know, this is not a team that they they tried to that, – that they're trying to take shortcuts with with a lot of, like, AHL – like, the David Vandergolics that we had to put up with for <laughs> years in Lake Erie where he was one of their better forwards. He was their captain. He was their leader. He was the face, blah, blah, blah. Awful. No, don't do that. Good God, no. These are guys that you're going to start the trickle-down effect, and it's going to take a little bit of time for it to to pan out. But when it does, it's going to be incredibly satisfying, and that's one reason why I don't I don't feel like Waz in any, any kind of hot seat unless – and I, I've said this all along, but I think 
it, it's going to take like an atrocious year, like a, like a 65 point season kind of thing for that to maybe become a conversation. Mm-hmm. But assuming that that's not going to happen because I would, it's not going to happen. I, I just, I just can't help but feel really excited about where things are going. And I know, I know right now today after, you know, sitting through that game last night, like, I'm not I'm not in the greatest of moods. I'm not a, I'm not a very pleasant individual right now, but it's just I feel like there are so many good things that are going to happen soon, you know? But it's it's at the NHL level, it's it's really starting to get frustrating to watch, you know, guys like Johnson and Varlamov and Duchesne and to a lesser extent McKinnon and certainly Landis Gog. They've been together, you know, they've been here for a while. They've been here for a couple of years now. They've they've had a little taste of success and they've never learned how to consistently win and they've never they've never really been winners at the NHL level. You know, the the two seasons in Matt Duchesne's career in which the team has made the playoffs, they were told both years that it was fluky, and then the next year they went out and they missed the playoffs the following season. They've never gotten any kind of respect. They've never gotten any kind of confidence in themselves that that they belong that they are consistently those guys that can that can lead the team in that place and i think that's that's one of those elements that they're really missing right now and i wonder how much how much of a detriment it is that you have a 22 year old captain that that you know that he's he's your leader he's the guy you know you put all your stock in that and he's arguably not even your best player on the team and you know you have you have some veteran guys, guys like Tangay and Aginla that might be that might be consistently deferring to him because they are trying to to set up a long term leadership structure. And you know Landeskog's Landeskog might be great in the room, but it's still been a problem that too frequently he's not the leader out on the ice. You know if there's anything that he's led, it's the parade of of dumb penalties that he continues to be plagued by. And it's incredibly frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I mean, sorry, I'm in the background giggling at Randy's pumpkin. This is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and that goes back to the learning how to win at the lower levels too. It it sounds easy that whole you know knowing how to win, but. At the NHL level, it, it's not. And there are some guys whose career just never clicks in that way. I mean, the, this current Avs group has a lot of talent. And if they ever get the pieces put together, they're going to go places. But here we are. This is what, Duchesne's sixth, seventh season? Seventh. Seventh season. Oh, we're all so old. Ugh. I mean, it's just frustrating that we've, especially for Avs fans, and I'm sure the team too, that we've been waiting through this rebuild for, you know, something. Something more than finishing last in the division or having a fluky entrance into the playoffs and just getting creamed in the first round. It, yeah, it, it's it's frustrating. And this team, I don't think... You look at the Blackhawks, and yeah, they're a couple years older than us, but they know how to win because they've done it, they've been around it, 
and this team, this team hasn't. Where's our Marion Hosa? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you would think that it would be Jerome McGinley, but no. um, it hasn't been. It So it's frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. I'm sure both for us and for the team. So this year, I, I hope they start putting it together. Next year, they have to put it together. How much longer are we going to have to wait? At least that long. I don't have an answer for you. I yeah. Don't know. Um, we do need to move forward, though. Um, we have. I, I would definitely like to have a look at how Gormley's played in the last couple of games. Um, I feel like he's had five really good periods, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. the, the third last night. Which, he would agree with you. Um. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's kind of the abs in general, though. You look at the last two games, and they've had five really good periods. And then that one. Yeah. Um, and I've been definitely encouraged by how uh, the coaching staff have deployed Gormley. Um, he has been playing just as much as all the other defensemen. Um, it's a little bit outside of Waugh's typical MO. When he adds a new player to the roster, or to the lineup, rather, they, they don't play too much at first. You're seeing that to an extreme with Mikhail Gagarenko. <laughs> um, this five minutes a night thing. Mm. Um, but Gormley's out there and he's playing m- more than Gennon. So I take that as an encouraging sign. And the way he's played, I take it as an encouraging sign, which leads me to ask, are you guys seeing the same thing? What happens to the defense uh, this coming week when Tyson Berry comes back from his suspension? I think Gormley's going to stay in the lineup. I mean, what will occasionally do that whole sitting the guy that doesn't necessarily deserve it thing. But I think Ginnon's going back to the box and Gormley's earned a spot on that third pairing. Um, Yeah, I've been... He's still, you know, young and he makes those stupid young defenseman moves on occasion. But by and large, you, you see flashes of what he could be and I think even right now he's fairly solid for us. So um, I I have no qualms with Gormley, and I think he was a great pickup, great ad this summer, and I think he's going to help our team this year. Who would you play him over? Mm, Gennon and Stewart. Man, Brad Stewart is an interesting. There's something interesting going on with him. I am I am continually fascinated about about what's up with that situation because uh, I think the team, the team listed him as day to day with a back injury or some bullshit. And I was at morning skate yesterday, watching him go a hundred percent during drills, working with uh, Dave Farish. And he had him, he had him going uh, skating forwards, backwards, doing all kinds of different things. And he looked, he looked fine. I mean, he looked like Brad Stewart, you know, he looked he there was no he wasn't any kind of pain he wasn't anything I, I I totally thought that shit was made up that that this back injury nonsense just maybe maybe he's got something going on that makes him a little uncomfortable but I definitely don't think that's the reason he's not playing. Um, I, dude, I really think we're coming to the end of the Brad Stewart era in Colorado really quickly because I just I think I think Patrick Wall looks around and he sees. 
he sees what he has elsewhere and he sees, you know, okay, yeah, you know, Brandon Gormley had the the bad period against Columbus. But I mean, look at it, look at everything else he did. And he couldn't stop glowing about him all week. He was, oh, I thought Gormley played great. This according to me when he was in press conferences. It was ridiculous. And and you know, I with the way Gormley has played, I I wouldn't be surprised. If um, he came back, if Barry came back and Gormley ended up going back to the box right away, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. Um, I had, I'd have to double check, but I don't think he was getting very much, if any, penalty kill time. And that's the role that you have to look to fill when you're talking about dropping Nate Ginnon. Um, is you're looking, you're looking at somebody that's going to be able to play um, some PK time just in case. Maybe not even heavy minutes, but just a little bit. And... He took, uh, Gormley took Barry's spot on the power play uh, last night uh, with that top unit, and they, they left the second unit completely <laughs> untouched. Ooh. And Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't personally have a problem with it, but that's fine. Um, but no, I just, it's, I think it's interesting what's, what's happening. What, what actually is going to happen, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't feel confident either way in making a, a any kind of a strong prediction there. But I do. I do feel increasingly confident that that Brad Stewart's role on this team is is shrinking. Something well, is wrong. Here. The, the reason why Brad Stewart was brought in, at least that I've kind of read into it, is he was that veteran defenseman who's won a Stanley Cup and could help guide the, the youngsters and now we have Boschman. Yeah, there's Just no the doubt that Boschman is exactly what Brad Stewart was supposed to be. Exactly. I mean, so that whole sage veteran blue line leader Brad Stewart doesn't need to be it anymore. And if you remove that from Brad Stewart's job description, you know, he's he's still doing some of the PK stuff, but he's, what is his role anymore? How is he not completely replaceable? So I think that that's a big part of that shift is Boschman is now the veteran on the blue line and Stewart doesn't have that, you know, hat anymore. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's a huge factor in what's going on with Stewart. Friends, I'm confused. Um, Brandon Gore, with no, uh, the Avalanche did not lack for shorthanded ice time last night. There was plenty of it. Uh, Brandon Gormley got three seconds. That's kind of what you're talking about. Is he going to fill that penalty killing role? If you had to list out forwards that have zero shorthanded ice time on the event summary, who would you list? Uh, repeat the question. Avalanche forwards who have absolutely no shorthanded ice time on record last night. Who would you guess? Forwards. Um, McLeod. Yeah. That, uh, that's the one that surprised me. Probably. No, I actually, I could actually talk about that. Um, but yeah, no, his. Anyway, moving on. Um, Duchesne. 18 seconds. Um, I wondered if he might have taken like a end of end of PK face off or something. Yeah, I like that they that they're doing that. By the way, um, 
maybe McKinnon because Landis Cog was in the box so much and Wah hasn't put him out there on the PK without him. <laughs> no, he got two minutes. Two minutes? Yeah. Okay. Um, um, I'm cheating. Griggs is one of them. Yeah. Griggs Ranko. Well, okay. I guess I should have started there since that would be the obvious answer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that really counts. He has ten shifts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm surprised with McLeod not being used shorthanded. That's kind of supposed to be his role, eh? Yeah, he lost he mm-hmm. lost that spot to Blake Como. Uh, even in practice, uh, all the reps and I I meant to tweet about this the other day when I was at practice, but Ooh, all the reps that that McLeod has gotten over the last couple of years since the last year of Joe Sacco um, being the head coach when he started uh, when he started getting consistent PK time, he's lost that to Blake Como. That that role is straight gone right Into now. Into that Aztec. Mm-hmm. He is he is strictly fourth line face punch right now. He is no longer a guy that gives you PK time. He's no longer, you know, was was go to as as the hey we're gonna we're gonna figure this out and you're gonna be the guy that un, unlocks the the frustrations <laughs> of our power play or whatever. Like he is, he's nothing right now. He's just. Face puncher delight. Well, apparently, or apparently, that's not the word I was even thinking about remotely wanting. Um, last night, apart from the the shift where the fourth line pants all fell down and they gave up a goal, the fourth line's been effective. Yeah, um, absolutely. So Mc- uh, McLeod yeah. is definitely pulling his his weight on that role, absolutely, or on, or on that line. Good lord, um, with uh, Skilly and with Grigorenko slash Mitchell. Um, we, we've seen Mitchell kind of struggle with his third line usage as we usually do. He's kind of an okay-ish third liner, really good fourth liner. Um, but, but McLeod has definitely been pulling his weight in that role. Um, and drawing penalties by letting David Clarkson take an instigator last night. That was hilarious. Like I was watching the Blue Jackets feed at that point in the game. Um, I went away from it later because the play stopped away from the camera and they never said why. I was like, well, that's bullshit. Um, but they're like, well, McLeod and Clarkson are going to go after McLeod waited long enough to probably draw the instigator penalty. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> nice job, Cody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really nice actually having a fourth line that isn't just scrubs. It is an oh, God, no, here's these guys again. Oh God! Hold oh on God. to your butts. Mess up. Yeah. How many goals are going to get scored here? Um, it, it's nice not needing to freak out when you see the fourth line going onto the ice. Um, I, I think that that depth scoring is something that's going to, again, it, that's one of those pieces that, that is now finally there on our roster that just needs to be put together with everything else. Um, oh, that yep. skilly goal was awesome. Yeah. You say depth scoring, I'm just like, oh, that Skilly goal. Oh. I I adore Jack Skilly. I mean, probably irrationally so. <laughs> but after watching him in training camp, it's like, yes, this guy. This guy I like. Um, and he's probably a big part of the reason why Cleesh is no longer on this roster. Not even as the, uh, you know, nacho master. Um, yeah, I think that he is a huge part of why our depth has become respectable. And 
that's something that you look at the championship teams around the league and depth scoring is pretty darn important. And I'm much more confident in the Avs talent you know, in that area than I have been in a really long time. It's a nice feeling as a fan. Quickly, before we get to uh, questions and next week, um, since Rendulitz got sent down to San Antonio this week as well, which we didn't even mention yet, um, the Avalanche have no healthy scratch forwards. Do you guys see that as a problem? I think it's unnecessarily risky more than anything else. You know, you never you never know when a guy is going to fucking wake up, get out of bed and, you know, wander into the kitchen to get a glass of milk or some shit and step on his kid's toy and break a toe or whatever. And then, you know, your team is forced to play seven defensemen and then you have Nick Holden playing forward for no good reason. Sammy Sosa sneezed and threw his back out for fuck's sake. I mean, shit happens. Right. Like I, you know, like the what was that Clint Barmas a couple years ago like blew out his back carrying meat upstairs or something Craig (laughs) Anderson eating pancakes like like there's just anything innocuous can happen to to these dudes that end up in injury that cost them and I feel like the avalanche leave themselves unnecessarily exposed to the will of the universe and (laughs) I you know why they why they're so comfortable doing that when the universe has shown that it has no problem bending them over and fucking them with a fucking rusty rake? I don't understand why they keep doing that. I don't. I I think it's dumb. Obviously, I think. Who it's, who would you set as that you know perpetual forward scratch? I, I would. I would have it be Mark Andre Cleish, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, or Patrick Borlo. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it, the, if you're not planning to play that guy, and you know what? If the guy gets hurt and that guy gets forced into action, yeah, that sucks. But you're not going to have it be a young guy or a guy that can be really, truly productive and yeah. be getting something development-wise in his time in the AHL. That's, that's why you have those guys in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Every organization has them, and that's why you keep them around. Right. And that they don't utilize them in that manner, I just don't understand. I mean – I'm happy Cleach isn't here, mostly because I don't trust Wad to resist the temptation. <laughs> that's that's really it, though. Like that's the big reason why I'm like, oh, I'm happy Cleach is gone. Otherwise, I think he would fit that that twenty third guy on the roster role perfectly. Where you know he's a good he's a good locker room guy. He's very very popular and very well liked in the room, and. You know, he doesn't he doesn't hurt you out on the ice because he's not playing. That's I would be happy with that. Like if you guys are so confident that you don't need that that guy, why not why not reward a guy who's been kind of a good soldier for you? You know, let him let him cash you know, that NHL paycheck in 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 the NHL and not not be the NHL guy stuck stuck down in the minor leagues. You know, I just I don't know. I just I, I think that's who I would I would pick as that guy. I just don't know why the Avs are so insistent on on playing with the universe fire like that. <laughs> Hockey gods frown upon that kind of hubris. <laughs> oh, but ask Jibbles and he'll let you know that we're fine because we're extracting enough gore for Gordork. It's dull. Are we ever? Um. 
If you don't know what we're talking about, that means you don't follow Jibble Scribbits, and that means you need to go follow Jibble Scribbits, like, immediately, because what are you doing with your life? Yeah, um, don't don't actually do that. He's a fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and his jokes are terrible. Yeah, oh, God. He spent, like, ten minutes last night telling a yep. shiny dog story just to make a tea pun. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so I've been... Getting a couple of decent questions today, apart from the sarcastic ones, like, why should I continue to cheer for this team? Like, <laughs> take a nap, dude. You'll feel better. Um, Eat a Snickers. Yeah. I love, the, I love those questions, dude. Nobody, they're, they're nobody more an obvious victim of Stockholm Syndrome than sports fans. Seriously. Um, and then my, my favorite question was Randy's, my legs asleep, what do? I'm just like, pour coffee on it. Um <laughs> Patrick has a good question about the changes in usage in the third. He, he's thinking, you know, how much should we read into the change and how players are used in the third period, um, especially with uh, with Barry being out right now. How will that change when Barry returns? Uh, he clarified that in particular he was referring to Nick Holden. Um, and then also we've talked about Gannon as well in that, in that situation. So the way that I'm going to use this question is I'm going to say, um, how much is player usage, particularly late in the game, going to change now that Tyson Berry is going to be back? I would hope that it means less Nate Gannon. Well, I'm hoping that Tyson Berry in general means less Nate Gannon and less Nick Holden, hopefully, as well. I think Nick Holden's had a good year. Yeah. That's a bold that that's bold compared to the other opinions that I see game to game. It's usually oh, Nick Holden's been garbage. I I think Nick I, Holden has been good. I don't think Nick Holden had a good night last night, but I think overall Nick Holden has been more positive than negative. I think Nick Holden took a lot of flack for that goal against uh, the first Columbus goal last night when John Mitchell for some reason fired a ridiculous pass at him that he could not handle. That not very many guys on the on the planet are going to be able to consistently handle. I think that's, he threw him a coin flip and you know, the, the, the coin came up. Fuck you. And <laughs> the, what's, what he was, what's the guy supposed to do to that? You know, and then Nick Holden's caught in no man's land and yeah, Boone Jenner beat him in a foot race to the puck and you know, they were off to the races. That's, that sucks. But I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't answer your question. I, I would hope that it's 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 less naked and, and I would hope that it's I would hope that, that Gormley stays in the lineup and <clears throat> I would hope that Zadorov has better nights than he did last night. And you know, I would hope that, that Wom intelligently matches lines. Yeah, well, it, well the, the question of how much should we read into the third line or the third period um ice time changes i it really just shows who patrick Waugh trusts yeah um i mean you got to remember this is a guy that has been like every other nhl coach ever in the history of ever and that you have to you have to earn a little bit of that trust somewhere and he's gonna lean on you know quote unquote his guys until that happens mm -hmm. you know seven games in you're still in that 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 process so it's It'll be a little while, but I have I have confidence that towards the end of the season it'll look a lot more the way that certainly most of us feel it should look. Going Boring. back to the Holden, yeah, going back to the Holden thing, I I have not been upset with his play 
this year either, but he's definitely a third pairing guy. And when he starts playing more minutes than a third pairing guy, bad things kind of happen because he's just not quite talented enough to be trusted in a good team's top four. Ideally, I'm hoping that um, one Barry does come back, Zadorov sets on his pairing, second pairing, and then it's Holden and Gormley down on the third. Um, of our questionable defensemen, Holden is definitely the best. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's been playing a lot better than he played last year, um, which wasn't particularly hard, but uh, it, it's... <laughs> Good to see. Um, so, yeah, no problems with him, but limiting his ice time down into a role that he can deal well with is important to the success of the abs. Yeah, when he gets more time than Boshman and EJ, he's going to struggle, and that's not Nick Holden's fault. That's, yeah. That's and I know, he's not the guy I know he's been played as. People freak out when he has 24 minutes on ice, but... You also have to know that Waugh, I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point that Patrick Waugh will play a guy he thinks is 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 going well on a particular day. And on that you know? particular day that you have in mind, I think, was that uh, was that the Carolina game that you yeah, have in mind there? it was he, Carolina. He was playing fairly well. Yeah, he was having a good game, and Waugh gave him more ice time. And all of a sudden, it was, let's fucking fire him after the second period because... This guy, this guy who's playing well is getting ice time, and I just, I guess I just didn't understand it. I understood the frustration about the disparity in ice time. Uh, it, it was like five minutes between your top two guys and, and Nick Holden, and that, that gap closed by the end of the game to either it was just over a minute or just under a minute, depending on either EJ or Boschman. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you got what you wanted. You, you know, the, that, the gap closed there. And, you know, they still, they, all of those guys were still playing well. And I guess, you know, Patrick Waugh is going to play guys he feels are playing well on any given night. And he's not just throwing out a blanket. Well, I have, I have EJ and, and, and Boschman. And, you know, it's not exactly like running out Roman Yossi and Shea Weber every night. You know, these are not, these are not like set in stone, rock solid, all-star level players. And you know, if a guy, if another, if another guy or another pairing is having a good night, you know, I guess, I guess, I just don't always see the harm in letting them, you know, let letting the hot hand ride on that on that given night. And to continue that line of reasoning, um, <clears throat> what that allowed was for Johnson and Boschman to play some ten or eleven minutes specifically against Eric Stahl's line, and crush them and stay rested to do that late into the game. If you can give some of that time to your second and third pairing and keep your top guys, you know, fresh when they're facing the top competition late in the game, that's going to serve you pretty well. Yeah, if Nick Holden and Brandon Gormley are eating alive complementary lines and your top line is doing, your top pairing is, you know, your top talent pairing is doing what it needs to be doing against the the top line of the opposing team. Why is this a bad thing? Another thing too, is that yeah, Wa makes some frustrating on ice stuff, but you want to talk about a coach that can get the most from his players motivation wise. The, the fact that he is willing to 
look at a game and say, hey, you know, Nick Holden is having a good night. I'm going to play him more. That keeps people motivated to keep playing hard because they know if they have a good game, they're going to get ice time. So there is a psychological side to that as well that Wa is very, very, very good at keeping his players going at a high level. Counterpoint, the Avs have lost how many games? now in the period like he can't get him motivated to come out and give a flying fuck at the start of a third period i don't think that's motivation at all um, so that which i mean they he can't he can't keep he can't keep his team focused coming into a third period you know you had a 4-1 lead against minnesota you have a 3-2 lead against columbus you know you what are you doing now well yeah but then what what is what do you expect coach to say okay guys let, let's go play good like they don't already know that they're supposed to play I mean, I, good. I'm not. I'm not putting it all on Patrick Waugh, but I mean, if we're going to give him credit and laud him for his ability to motivate his team, when his team comes out and it shits the bed in third periods, it can you really make the argument that he's the master motivator at that point? I don't think we have any idea how much of a motivator he is. Yeah. It, yeah. This, this is kind of my point. But that, this that, uh, this does lead us kind of nicely into Amit's question, which is. I mean, the Avalanche have been trending down for a while in a lot of the underlying metrics, like shots for or against, scoring chances, and things like that. And comes down to a question of how much of it is the roster, how much of it is on the, is on the coach, the way they're being being played. Um, and the the th- way they come out in the third period, I think, has a lot less to do with motivation than it does with how they're being played. I got into this I... with. with the, don't agree. So I got into this with Jibble a little bit last night. Um, he, he feels like the, when when they are late in the game and they're ahead, they just kind of try kind of rely on Varlamov quite a bit. Um, most teams do that, but the Colorado do it to an extreme degree. And I that I we I feel like is a situation of how they're how they're being played, not who the players are. I would disagree. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my standpoint, I think it's more individual effort levels than necessarily who is on the ice. Yes, who mm-hmm. is on the ice is important, and yes, it's been a little weird lately, um, at least in my opinion, uh, for whatever that is worth. But I also see a lot of our top guys – you know, not pushing the play, not getting more shots off. And, I mean, how much of that is the coach's responsibility to say, hey, you know, wake up, you're a top player, go play. I don't even if Wa is saying that, it, it, it's not coming through. So I guess my argument is that a lot of our issues are in the third period on an individual level instead of necessarily on a team level. I disagree with both of you. I was going to say, yeah. I think you're about to disagree in a different way. I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes. I, I think, uh, I think Anaheim game is a picture perfect example of what the coaching staff is looking for. I think they want, they want to come out. They want to be aggressive. They want to play a good, strong early game. They want to get the lead. And then 
they want to wear teams down and they want to just, you know, impose their will and just, you know, physically be dominant, blah, 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 blah. But I think they want to, if you watch that Anaheim game, Reto Berra makes, I mean, do you guys, do you guys remember how many great saves he had to make? It was mm-hmm. what, like two or three tops. I think that's exactly what he wants. I think he wants them to, to, to play that, that, that kind of Dave Tippett, you know, old school Randy Carlisle and Anaheim kind of, and this is the Dave Farish effect in my opinion, of of collapse into the middle of the ice, keep everything onto the perimeter, block a lot of shots. You know, you you willingly give up the possession, and you have your forwards collapsing down, especially on the wings. You have them collapsing down instead of playing a little higher in the zone. You know, trying to break pucks out consistently. I think. I think that's exactly what the coaching staff wants. When when Patrick Waugh talks about structure, and you can watch when he talks about structure in the post-game interview and then the post-practice interviews and all that stuff, he talks about the Anaheim game, he talks about structure, and I think that was the tip-off, that the Anaheim game was exactly what they wanted. Was that they, yeah, they blocked 50 bajillion shots or whatever. They didn't give a shit. Those were not shots that Reto Berra had to stop. And a lot of them just weren't. I, this is this is where shot quality is gonna gonna be a conversation again, because a lot of them just weren't that big of a deal. They, you know, shots from the outside, shots from areas, you know, not not, you know, low danger areas. Shots with two or three bodies in front. You know, when you look at when you just look at the graph and you see where the shots are located on the ice, it doesn't take into account where defensemen are in relation to that. And I think that's interesting because. When you watch the shot and you say, okay, you know, this is where this shot was plotted on the ice. This is a high danger zone or whatever. And then you look at you look at the shot on the ice and you're like, oh, okay. You know, there are two guys standing in front of him and another guy and, you know, another guy's tugging at his stick or, you know, whatever. And I just I think that they played. I felt like they played better defensively as a unit in the Anaheim game. Uh, than they were given credit for simply because they got murdered in the third period in in terms of their their possession statistics. All of them looked really awful, but I think that's exactly what they want. And I think I think that's coaching. That's why you know that's why I'm I'm willing to give Patrick Waugh and the coaching staff a little bit a little bit of a flack for the third period collapses because I think that that's what they wanted them to do in the Minnesota game. That's what they wanted them to do in the Columbus game. The team just didn't execute it very well. You know, Patrick Watt talks a lot about tracking. He talks, you know, okay, we didn't track pucks well. You know, our structure fell apart a little bit. We got to running around. You see a lot of these goals against that they've given up in these situations have come when there have been big breakdowns, when their structure has fallen apart. You look at the Anaheim game. You can even look into a lesser example to the the L.A. game. You know, they kept their structure and they just – they kept they either kept the lead or they kept themselves score wise in the game by by blocking a lot of shots by by keeping a lot of things to the perimeter and i think that's what the team wants and you whether or not that's good or bad is a totally different conversation but i think that's the goal of the i think that's where they are looking for that's what they want to do that's how they want to protect leads okay that that's why you think we disagree we don't really disagree that much you're you're having a different conversation that I'm having, so I'll blame that on myself for not getting it across very effectively. Um, I think the problem is that the team doesn't have the personnel to make that work on a consistent basis. I wouldn't disagree with that at all. Mm-mm. So basically, you're saying instead of being stuck in 2004, we're now stuck in 2007. 
as far as systems are concerned. I mean, when, when you evoke uh, Randy Carlyle in that conversation, you have to remember that, that, that when he was having success with that, he had, you know, Hall of Fame level defenseman and peak J.S. Jaguar backing him up. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, who else was involved in that with, you know, Francois Lair was part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, I think you can look at that and you can say that's that's the kind of thing that they're that they're looking for that they're that they're looking to achieve. You know, they feel like Eric Johnson can be that defenseman, can be their, you know, their their Scott Niedermeyer. There's just a big question here of whether the team that they've put together can accomplish that and I think the answer is definitely not. Not yet. Mm-hmm. I think a year from now when uh, Nate Gannon and, and potentially Brad Stewart are gone and they're replaced, um, you know, with bigger minutes from Nikita Zadorov and Chris Bigra, who I think is only going to see the AHL for one season. Yeah. Um, I want Sackick's comments about that, uh, about about the defensive prospects he plans to see in Denver next season really <laughs> reinforce my belief on that. Um but I think, I think when you look at those guys, those you know, and Chris Bigra is lauded universally for for being an incredibly intelligent player, and I think he's a guy who's going to look really great in this system. In in you know, given what they want to do, because so much of it is decision making and being able to read the play, and those are all things he does really well. And so I think I think it sucks to sit around and look at the guys we know who aren't very good right now and we're just we just have to sit around and wait and wait and wait to to get the personnel to run the kind of system that they want but i think i think it's getting there i think it's not too far off and i think we've already seen glimpses of it um in in the Anaheim game um the beginning of the Minnesota game the beginning of the Columbus game and Carolina i love when we think there's a disagreement, and it turns out we're just speaking a different language. That's like my favorite thing in the world. We don't actually disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, unless we have... We're starting to run a little bit over my target here. So, let's move on to next week, which I totally forgot to write. So, this is going to be clunky. Um, Avalanche have a couple of days off, and they play on Tuesday, starting a road trip through the Floreast. Um, well, I guess Carolina is Car- Carolina's on the floor east, are they? They're in the they're in the NHL and NBC division, right? Pittsburgh and Philly. Uh, I think sure. that's right. Uh, but anyway, they, they so, I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know anything other than the Islanders are in the Metro. They they run through the former <laughs> Southeast Division next week, starting on Tuesday of seven thirty start in in on the Eastern Conference on the Eastern Con Coast on the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> Florida's in the Atlantic, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, 5.30 Mountain on Tuesday against the Panthers, and then on Thursday, another 5.30 Mountain against Tampa Bay. And they better win because that's my birthday, so... Oh, this is the kind of team that could very very well kick Tampa's ass on Tampa's ice after taking bad losses to teams like Columbus. Um... And then back-to-back Friday night, 5 o'clock start in Carolina. Maybe get a little bit of revenge there. Maybe actually light Cam Ward up like we know is totally possible. 
Sunday, the Avalanche come home and play San Jose. That's an afternoon start. That's 1 o'clock. So set your alarm for that one. Okay. Predictions? Just, what do you guys think? I just said it. Well, I'm glad that you take my advice so literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I so, just set an alarm for everything now. Do you? Yeah, it's awful. I had to set an alarm to remind myself to put pens in my bag to go to the game yesterday. <laughs> well, so, eight points, right? Ideally, I would like to see the Avs in the next three games in the month of October. Um, I would like to see him win two of them. Because that brings us pretty close to 500, which isn't great. But considering all the issues we've had this month, adjusting and Barry's suspension. And yeah, if we can escape October at least close to 500, I will be happy. Um, So of these games, I'd like to see us get at least five of the eight points. More would be better, but... Just consistently staying over 500, I think, should be a goal <laughs> until we start really get rolling here later in the season. I think they beat Florida. They beat Tampa Bay. Uh, I think the Carolina game is a total toss-up, and then I think they lose to San Jose. I don't disagree with that. I think that seems exactly like what should happen, which is why I think that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, it could very easily be the exact opposite. Um, I don't know. I I think that uh, three points out of six is a, definitely not a bad goal for the road trip. But then you have to win at home. Um, so let's hope for at least four out of six on the road trip then because that's San Jose at home. And San Jose, much like the Kings, is Avalanche kryptonite. Well, it's going to depend a lot on which Martin Jones shows up, assuming Martin Jones rolls that game. If it's Staylock, you have to win that game. But if if Jones plays, it depends on if it's if it's good Jones or bad Jones. Because if it's bad Jones, here's a free two points, sucker. <laughs> but if it's if it's good Jones, man, you're you're in for a a night of having your teeth pulled. Yeah, you're in for that. Plus, it's you know, good old Joe Pavelski with his at, at least two points guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. So anyway, that's next week. Um, some early games, which will be a nice change of pace from this fucking 10 o'clock Eastern shit we've had to put up with all month. Dude, getting getting home at like 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning from the arena sucks. It's the worst. And you're local. I mean, this stuff is ending at 1 or 2. Like, the game ends at 1 or 2 if you go start going east. We've yeah, got, we got plenty of fans out east who are just like, damn, I need to go yeah, to bed. Yeah, and dude, it's awful. And then I can't, I can't get to sleep for an hour, and it's just like next thing I know, it's three o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and then you know, the, you know, the players have to get up and have practice in the morning. So yeah, like, well, and you know, you have to get up and be there. So it's it's the dumbest thing, dude. Like we. These late starts are, I liked them um, in the past. I liked them because I was always up late anyway. And now that now that I have to actually work the home game, I'm like, this 8 p.m. stuff is for the birds. <laughs> Give me a 5 p.m. start at home, please. Like, I can't wait for that San Jose game. It's on, it's Sunday at 1 p.m. I'm like, holla, this is going to be great. I have a whole day <laughs> to have after that. Yeah, well, we'll be able to record a show after a Sunday game. How often does that happen? 
I'll be a dude. I could, I could, we could record a, the show while I'm still in the press box after the game. That could be fun. <laughs> well, if that's what we end up doing with it, then obviously the place to find out will be here next week. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks Andy and AJ for your time this Sunday. Um, make sure to follow the show on SoundCloud on Mile High Hockey Podcast, mixcloud.com slash Mile High Hockey Podcast. Follow us on iTunes and can subscribe there, rate and review. Check out AJ and Andy's work at BSN Avalanche. They're clearly the best coverage running away for the team right now. Avalanche news, updates, and analysis at milehighhockey.com. Follow us on Twitter at milehighhockey.com and at Facebook slash milehighhockey.com. Obviously, there's a .com in there somewhere, but you guys know that. You don't need me to tell you there's a .com in there. We'll see you all next week after the San Jose game. Enjoy! Fantasy sport is trashing you today. Football, man. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, it's pissing me off. I finally have a good day. Like, I have like half of a team built on a waiver wire, right? And I finally have like a good day. Like, a couple of my guys are blowing up. It is it enough? No, it's not enough because the guy that I'm playing has all the guys who are blowing up just a little bit more than my guys. <laughs> and I'm like, great, we're going to be the two highest scoring teams of the week and this fucker's going to beat me.